0: The title of this lesson that begins on uh, John chapter 19 verses 1 to 7 uh, is Behold the Man, and in Latin, and it was really issued originally in Latin by Pilate, is uh, Ecce Homo, Ecce Homo, Behold the Man. And it's important, uh, and why I focus on this is because Pilate, having tried everything that he could to release Jesus Christ uh, you know, in, in, in any number of ways, and trying to convince the crowd, uh, this angry mob, uh, to let Jesus go. W- it wouldn't do. It finally beats Jesus severely. And the beating that he would have been administered is so severe that many people died in the beating. They died in the beating. Uh, and so he brings Jesus out, having, witnessing this, this uh, Jesus body just ripped to shreds, ripped to shreds from the beating, and says to the crowd, Ece homo, behold the man. And we're going to talk about the significance of that, even as God uses a pagan to deliver the words that echo through the century, even to us today. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 19, verse 1. We're going to read seven verses. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again, and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And so we see this here, uh, Pilate saying to them, ecce homo, ecce homo, behold the man, look at him, look at him, look at who he is, See him, and it's as if uh a pagan is saying to the Jewish people, "Look at what you are doing, look at the life of this man, look at how this man has acted throughout these proceedings uh it is astonishing what manner of man is this effectively, and that's effectively what 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 we're seeing here and you know. We, we saw this about Jesus before when he stilled the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee, because then the people said, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that can still the waves that can make the waves sit down? What kind of man is this who could walk on water? What kind of man is this that could take a few loaves of bread and some fishes and feed 5,000 people? What kind of man is this never in the history of the world has there ever been one like Jesus? Eche homo, look at him. And yet you see the angry, snarling crowd filled with hate, filled with hate. And I submit to you that the reason that they are so filled with hate is that they look at Jesus. They see him sinless and blameless in every way, and they are indicted. They are indicted. Uh, and as they are indicted, instead of submitting to the will of God and bowing to God and saying, Lord, forgive us, we, have a, we need a Savior, we are so far from the mark. Instead, uh, as evil takes hold of their heart, as evil takes hold of their heart, uh, they want Jesus murdered and crucified. Uh, and so one of the things I'm going to talk about today in this lesson is the juxtaposition of the innocents and blamelessness of of Jesus, and contrast it to what will ultimately be the judgment of God on people. And make no mistake about it, folks, we do not walk away without judgment. God will judge us uh, in every way, and he certainly judged Israel, uh, he certainly judged Rome, Uh, And he judged these people, and I'm going to speak to you about that historically so that you can see this. And so, first of all, Jesus is an innocent man. No crime has been proven against Jesus. Not only has he been pronounced innocent uh, by Pilate, he is to be pronounced innocent several times more. Um, And it was the verdict of all who had dealings with him uh, in these hours before this took place that Jesus was innocent. First, Judas declared, "I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood." That's Matthew twenty-seven, uh, verse four. Second, Pilate's wife sent a note to the uh, Roman curator, uh, Pilate, saying, "Don't have anything to do with this man. It, you. This is. I have suffered a great deal today. This is innocent blood. I cannot sleep." That's Matthew twenty-seven, nineteen. Third, Pilate himself declared Christ innocent. Uh, quote, I find no basis for a charge against him, John 18, 38. And he will repeat that at least three more times. I find no basis for a charge. Fourth, Herod found Christ blameless. Herod finds Christ blameless, for Pilate reported of Herod, Herod's victor, uh, verdict. Quote, neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve Death, every single governmental official who was in charge of Jesus pronounces him innocent. Uh, Fifth, the dying thief on the cross. The dying thief on the cross says we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing. Uh, And lastly, the centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion, the man who sat there at the base of the cross throughout the whole time, said, surely, surely, this was a righteous man. Luke 23, 47. Ece homo, eche homo. Jesus is speaking to us today in the same way. Behold me. Look at who I am. Look at the life that I lead. Look at, look at the fact that I am the son of God, but as well as the son of God, I am the son of man. In every aspect of my life, I fulfill the will of God. Fully God yet fully man. And so this is the verdict of all who have looked at Jesus of Nazareth. It is the verdict of God. It is the verdict of man. It is the verdict of friend, and it is the verdict of foe. Uh, And so when we look at Jesus, of course, we come away with saying this is an incredibly brave man. He's been beaten mercilessly, and yet you don't see him uh, being angry. You don't see vituperation coming out of his mouth. And he just suffers in silence, which is what the Scripture said he would do. Um, in fact, at the end, he says to, about those that, that crucify him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what it is. And so we are looking at ultimately the Son of God. We're looking at the Son of God. And this is meant for us today to reflect on the greatness of God, that God would bankrupt heaven uh, to send God also, his Son, uh, to die on the cross. And as I said to you, I submit to you all along that this angry crowd of, of Jewish elites, of the religious elites, of the elites that, that governed Israel. I'm not indicting all the people of Israel, but I'm indicting those who were the religious institutional leadership. They would be. They would have to pay for this. There would be a price for this. And make no mistake about it. When you spit in the eye of God, when you walk away from God, there is a judgment, all right? And we're going to talk about that. And so this is a, they become responsible. They become responsible, really, uh, for their actions. God ultimately will demand an accounting. He will demand an accounting. And if you look, really, at at what at the events that transpire after the crucifixion, what do you see? Shortly thereafter... Within 30 or 40 years, let's say 40 years, the temple, which was one of the great wonders of the world, will be reduced to rubble. The Romans will come in and they will lay siege to to the temple in Jerusalem. Over one million Jews will die. Can you imagine? One million Jews will die. In other books that I have read on this subject, and I've read a lot on it, they say that the blood in the streets was ankle deep ankle deep can you imagine men women children just wiped out wiped out um, and and it got so bad that Titus the 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 Roman general uh, because there was gold in between the stones in the in the uh, temple wound up basically firing the stones and reducing it to rubble so that the gold could be taken out, which was Jesus' pronouncement. Not one stone would be left on another. So there you have it, 70 AD, uh, the temple reduced. Now, here's an interesting thought for you folks who are Jewish scholars. You know the Bible tells the Jews when you read Leviticus that the only way that they can atone for their sins is to go to the temple on the Day of Atonement. Go to the temple on the day of atonement. Ladies and gentlemen, where do you go if there's no temple? I submit to you that if you think about it, God took care of that. You want your atonement? Here it is. It's named Jesus Christ. There's your atonement, Jesus Christ. And so what we find later is that the, the rabbis obviously had a to cobble together a a, a an answer for this. And so they submitted, well, you can do it in the synagogue. But God never said, God never said you do it in the synagogue. They were ordered to do it in the temple. Well, what happens if there's no temple? Well, I'll submit to you if there's no temple, then there's really no atonement, okay? You can do all of the sacrifices you want, all the rituals that you want, but if you're finding yourself squared up with the word of God, that's what the word of God says. So this is pretty significant. And so then what happens? In terms of understanding judgment, right after that, right after 70 AD, effectively Israel is wiped off the map. Israel does not exist as a country, it is finished. And Israel would not show up again for 2,000 years until 1949. All right. Now, you don't think that this is a judgment? You don't think that God looks at this and, and pronounces a judgment? Let me tell you, folks, he does. He does. Now, he doesn't pronounce that judgment on a country and apply it to all the individual people. God still allows individual people to come and give their hearts to them. And yet you look at the individual Jewish people. They were spread all over the world, all over the world, the diaspora. You know, And, and what do you find? That wherever they go, many of them were always reviled. It's pathetic when you see how Jews were, were, were dealt with and how, how unfairly they were dealt with. And what about Rome? You think Rome escaped? Rome didn't escape. We know that within about 300 years from this period of time, Rome would disappear as a nation. Can you imagine that? Rome would disappear. The greatest country, the greatest empire in the history of the world would also be wiped off the map. Uh, And so you see a judgment. And I will submit to you that the hand of God is on this. And we're going to look at a couple of of, uh, parables that Jesus gave us right before he would be crucified, beginning in Matthew. Turn to Matthew, if you would, Matthew 25. First one of these all of these were were given within a short time before Jesus would die on the cross. Um, Matthew 25, verse 1, the parable of the ten virgins. At that time, the kingdom of heaven, and this is Jesus speaking about judgment. This is judgment. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go go to sell, go to those who sell the oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Underline that. Later, the others also came, sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you, therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. What does it mean? There is a judgment coming when Jesus will come. We don't know the day or the hour, but he will come. He will come individually for each of us. And one day he will come collectively for the world in the rapture, but he will come. And here's the point. There's a state of readiness that Jesus is telling us to be in. Be ready. It'll be a long time uh, before I come. This was was given 2,000 years ago, but be ready. And the oil in the lamp represents the Holy Spirit. And so here's the thing. God says to convict yourself, to give yourself over, to ask God, to take over your life, and He pours the Holy Spirit into your life, and you are ready at that point. But just because you're walking along with the crowd, just because you think you're going to church, or you're, 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 you've, you've given, you know, you're, you're trying to be a righteous person, if you have not fully submitted to God, if you have not asked God to take over your life and fill you with with His Spirit, you can see that that there is a judgment, and so this this is important. Even as Jesus is being crucified and murdered, all right, an innocent man is being murdered, yet he's speaking to us about the fact that judgment will come. Now look at the next uh, parable. This is given uh, serially as Jesus is speaking about what will happen at the end times, the parable of the talents. Verse 14, again, Jesus says, notice, again, these are linked together, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. Notice that, after a long time, meaning Jesus will return. This, again, speaks about the return of Jesus, but it will be some period of time, all right? The man who had received the five brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five. See, I have gained five more. The man with two did the same thing. Um, And Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'll put you in charge of many things. Now, look at the man who received one. And let's understand this. In other words, God doesn't look at the gifts that he gave you, he looks at what you did with the gifts that he gave you. Oh, I can't preach. Oh, I can't write. All right, but can you volunteer? Can you volunteer? Can you do something to advance the kingdom of God in a small way? Has God given you some gift, and you instead have buried it in the ground? You've buried it in the ground. Well, you're going to see that this is a serious thing. This is a judgment again. There are judgments. And so, then the man, verse 24, then the man who received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. First of all, he's insulting God. How about that? I knew you. (sighs) You... you're hard. You're hard. You think God wants to hear that? I know you're a severe God. You're hard. I know you're a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. How insulting, really, that you would actually uh, demean God in that way, really. What a demeaning thing to say about our, our Lord. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Here's what you gave me, God. I didn't do anything with it. It's just like you gave it to me. In perfect shape, I give it back. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Those are words you don't want God to say to you on that day. You don't want those words, okay? And I, this lesson is all about understanding that there is a judgment when we, re, we refuse to accept Jesus Christ. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. By the way, it's one of the commentaries that I read, and, you know, I study uh, multiple commentaries. One one excellent point was made uh, by one of the writers, theologians on that, that Jesus mentioned the word, you should have deposited it with the bankers. Meaning what? Meaning this, that if you yourself find that you don't have the ability to do certain things, but he gave you money and affluence, then give it to the people who will do something with it. Can I get an amen? amen? You understand? You see, you see the, the, the reference to bankers there, which Jesus is, is referencing? That means give of your substance to those who will advance the kingdom of God. Folks, this is not a game. Then, then you see the pronouncement of God. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundant. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoa, whoa. Now, I'm going to submit to you that this all references someone who has not given their heart to the Lord, okay? Let's elevate this message. This is someone who has not given their heart to the Lord, because if you have given your heart to the Lord, you know that every day of your life you get up wondering, God, what can I do for you today? What can I do to advance the kingdom of God? How can, I, how can I help those who you want me to help, Lord? Touch me, enlighten me, show me, Father. And that's how you live your life. That's what God expects from you. Um, and so you see this incredible uh, statement here, understanding that there will be a judgment, that this man, obviously, who had the one was an unbeliever. And what does it mean? It means that as you advance the kingdom of God, whatever talents he's given you, he's going to multiply. And you know that. I can look in your faces and I can see it. I can tell you that as you advance the kingdom of God in our own simple, submissive ways, God pours more blessings into your life. Look at you. Would you ever think that at this age you would be here with the great amount of friends and love that you have surrounding you in this place? Would any of you believe that? Honestly, I would never believe it. I'd never believe it. You know, when I left New Jersey, I left under very poor circumstances. It was heartbreaking for me uh, to have to leave the church where I was born and raised, and my whole family were there for, you know, 100 years, and yet God closed the door. He closed the door. Why? Because he knew that he had a better place for me here, and that's how God is over and over and over again. So as you advance the kingdom of God, as you use your talents, he multiplies what you have. He multiplies what you have, and he's with you in every way. Now, so we've talked about this now. This is individual judgment. Now, honestly, now there's another judgment. And so uh, I want to do this because I want you to understand that even though Jesus doesn't indict these people, even though Jesus doesn't pronounce an indictment, there is a judgment. Uh, And what we're now going to study is in the the sheep and the goats, what's referred to as the judgment of nations, the judgment of nations. Um, and, And this is a pretty astonishing judgment as well, because what we see here is just as I've told you, there was a judgment on Israel. There was a judgment on Rome. Then there is also a judgment on nations. And in the last days, when God comes back, Jesus comes back, and will stand on Mount Olives, he will pronounce a judgment on the nations as to how they treated the Jewish people, especially during the tribulation period. I believe that 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 perspective continues even before that time. I believe that God pronounces a judgment. Anybody who has studied American history can't come away without recognizing that God has blessed the United States of America, all right? For 300 years, God has blessed this country. But don't think that can last forever. When I see some of the things that are emanating now out of the United States government, I wonder how much longer the blessing of God will take place. And don't kid yourself, folks. Don't kid yourself uh, that there is a judgment coming even on the United States as it is on other nations as well. Well, let's look at this passage that's referred to as the judgment of nations. It's in your Bible. It's called the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and that's referred to basically uh, in the last days, and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, this is not an individual pronouncement at this point. This is a, a pronouncement as it relates to nations. There's a judgment on nations irrespective of the individuals, and that's what we see here. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you are who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And that's really the heart of a saint. When did we do this, Lord? We, we don't recall doing it for you individually. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And did not help you. I will tell you the truth: whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so this is distinguished from the uh, judgment of um, of Christ for believers. So you understand that there's several judgments. There's the, the bema seat of Jesus, the, the, the seat where ju- Jesus will judge each and one of us as to the works that we did to advance the kingdom of God. That's strictly for believers, okay? That's not a judgment of punishment, but it's a judgment of rewards as God will give out what he determines uh, you will do in the next life. Uh, Then we know also uh, that that there's um, a divine judgment coming on the end, uh, uh, the the throne of God, when he will, at the end of the day, uh, separate the evildoers uh, from those who are not evil, Uh, that's right at the end of the the millennium, Uh, and and that's called the great white throne judgment. Well, this is a different kind of a judgment, meaning that God will individually judge nations as to how they act. Now, I can give you some support for this. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 10, and I want you to see this because it ties into this message. Echehomo, homo, look at the man, all right? Look at Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 12. When the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, meaning he takes care of the Jewish people, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. For he says, by the strength of my hand I have done this, and by my wisdom, because I have understanding, I have removed the boundaries of nations. I plundered their treasures like a mighty one. I subdued their kings as one reaches into the nest. So my hand reached for the wealth of the nations as men gather abandoned eggs. So I gathered all the countries, not one flapped the wing or opened its mouth to chirp. Does the ax raise itself above him him who swings it or the saw boast against him who uses it? (laughs) I mean, you can't get a more powerful picture of God putting punishment and judgment to evil nations. How did you act? How did you treat the people of God? How did you treat the Jewish people? And you see this here. Look also at Ezekiel chapter 25. Again, in this chapter, and the next chapter, God puts a judgment against the countries that had basically mistreated uh, Israel. Look first at Ezekiel 25 verse 6. This is a pronouncement against Moab. This is what the sovereign Lord says, because Moab and sires said, look, the house of Judah has become like all the other nations. Therefore, I will expose the flank of Moab, beginning at its frontier towns. I will give Moab along with the Ammonites to the people of the east as a possession so that the Ammonites will not be remembered among the nations. By the way, anybody remember the country Ammonite? I don't think so. I don't think so. Then look, the next prophecy against Edom. God pronounces the same pro- prophecy against Edom. If I ask you to go to a map and show me the country of Edom, it'd be a long time for you to find it. Okay? Then how about the next one? Philistia. Philistia. Uh, and it's interesting because today some of the Palestinian people claim that they are descendants. Uh, of the Philistines. Well, you know what? There's really very little proof of that. Anyway, where is Philistine? It doesn't exist. Why? Because God pronounced the judgment against them. You understand? God doesn't fool around. Ecce homo. Look. Look. He pronounces it also against Tyre. I mean, it's amazing when you go back and you study and you see uh, what God does. Uh, I mean, it's humbling. Yes, he will allow, he will have great patience. He will allow significant time to go by. He brought Jesus to this world. Jesus ministered for three years. And yet, when when it came time to try Jesus, time after time after time, innocent, innocent, innocent. And yet, they were unmoved. Yet, they were unmoved. Do you think God allows that to take place? You know, I recently was, I'm I'm writing an outline on heaven, which I'm going to produce, you know, teach you later in the year. And one of the things that I found as as I wrote the outline on heaven, understanding what heaven is like, that there's verses in Revelation that speak about the fact that when the martyrs die and the martyrs are in heaven, that before the throne of God, the martyrs themselves cry out to God for judgment on those who have committed the atrocities against them. Can you imagine that? That the martyrs, the very martyrs in heaven, see see what's still going on in this world and cry out to God for judgment. And what does God say? Not yet, but coming. Not yet, but coming. This is a very serious lesson, folks. All right? This is a very serious lesson. Every time you hear the phrase ecce homo, I want you to understand what God is saying to you. He is saying to you, remember who he is. Look at the life. Look at what he represents. Look at God himself coming to this world, being declared innocent, and despite being innocent, still being martyred and crucified. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, John, didn't God really orchestrate this from the beginning? Yes, he did. But did the individual people who were involved have to be the individual participants? Did Judas have to be be the person who betrayed God? Don't you understand that God is great? He gives us freedom to to accept or reject him. And yet, you know, we see here that there are people who will not not deviate from their evil ways, who refuse to deviate from their evil ways. Uh, And so... Uh, What we see here in each one of the examples that I gave you is, even though they're different in detail, there is a common essential feature. In each case, there is a sudden return of the Lord who demands an accounting. In each case, there are some who are prepared for the accounting, some who have aligned their lives the right way, and others who have not. In each case, there are rewards and there are judgments. Um, and most remarkable of all, in each one of these cases, those who receive the judgment are amazed. How could this be? How could this be? How could this be? Um, And and the foolish virgins are astounded uh, that the the door will not be opened for them by the bridegroom. The wicked and lazy servant clearly elects the master to be pleased with zero growth uh, and, and is shocked when he's not. And the goats cannot believe that they've actually rejected Jesus. They can't believe it. And this is precisely the way that it will be for our generation. We must continue to say to a lost world, and may you never forget this, ecce homo. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us today. Lord, each of us is inspired as we hear and see the life of Jesus and recognize, Lord, that we can't reject him, that we have a responsibility to bring this message to a lost world, that there is a judgment for those who do not accept Jesus. Father, you have laid it on us to deliver that message. And so, Father, I I ask you that each and every one of us today believes inspired, to be able to give this message and understanding to people who do not know it, to let them know that you cannot merely ignore Jesus, that you either accept him or you reject him. It's one or the other. There is no in-between. Father, bless our people, protect them this week, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word next week. We put this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.